movement and sound integrate in our life from the very, very beginning. Mm. So that's why you know, I think dance and song have such an important place in culture and in mm. ritual and connection between humans because that, that movement and that sound and that music together is something that unites us. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I am your host, Rosie Acosta, yoga teacher and teacher trainer, mindfulness coach, speaker, and creative writer. I am also the founder of radicallyloved.com, a website where you can go for more information about yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and lifestyle advice. On this podcast, we talk to people within our health and wellness community that are creating content through the ritualistic practice of yoga, meditation, or overall mindful living. We hope to create value in your life so that you can achieve your highest potential and live a radically loved life. To stay in touch with us, just follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rosie Acosta and on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie. You can sign up for our newsletter on radicallyloved.com to stay up to date on future workshops, retreats, and latest podcasts. I think even after having 250, almost 300 episodes in, I still have these moments of feeling like I don't know what I'm doing. And it's okay. You know, I don't put too much pressure on myself for not, but there has been moments where I think back to interviewing really notable people and I like forget to hit record. You know, Tori was just here setting us up and he's oh, like, so don't. that was an inside joke. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I won't share who the person was, but let's just say he was somebody, everybody's noteworthy, right? But this is somebody that's like, you know, really well known in the spiritual space. And I didn't record the first 30 minutes of the interview. Yeah. You chose the right person. Right? Because they could be okay with that. Mm. Let's move on from that. Next. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to have a conversation with you about all things brain-related and sound-related and just life-related. We had the opportunity to meet each other at the Powerful You Conference in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago, and you and your beautiful wife, Mandy, came to one of my breakout sessions and it was awesome to get to... It's funny because when I was there, I just kind of locked into you guys. And I just really, I'm really sensitive to people's energy. And you guys just really struck me as good hearted people. And it could just because you guys were both smiling, you know, and I'm just like, Oh, they, they seem really cool. And then you guys came to talk to me afterwards. And I'm like, Oh, Alex, then I realized that you're like, you know, the shizzy. And I was like, Okay, Alex is awesome. <laughs> Alex is legit. So yeah, and I'm sorry I didn't, you know, get to stay to see you. I would have been really cool to stay and watch you speak and all of that. But anyway, in the interim of that, I became very familiar with your work and what you do. And it's definitely something that I've always personally been fascinated by and something that I think my audience would really benefit from learning about. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me in this uh, beautiful home. It's so great pulling up and seeing you at the front door with Chewy <laughs> to greet me. <laughs> Your greeting committee were just the like, well, wow, awesome. <laughs> well, thank and, you. And we were just talking about, we just came back, Tori and I just came back from uh, Hawaii. So, you know, we were having a little bit of a, 
coming down from vacation sadness because <laughs> I'm just like, uh. and then Alex pulls up, of course, and he's like, it's a beautiful day in LA. And I'm just like, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> it's not so bad. <laughs> I know, it's like sunny and beautiful out. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about knowing that you were going to come on to the show that I wanted to talk to you about pertaining to how our brain is wired for sound and how we are affected by music and all the different things that we hear and how it can create a different perspective, a different type of life, a different type of understanding and all of those things. I remember the first time I heard classical music was when I was, I think I was about seven or eight and it was inside the public library uh, and it was uh, an LA County public library and it was just in one like little section and I'll never forget it because it was the very first time I heard something that was soothing, something that wasn't loud and intense because of, again, you, you're very familiar with how I grew up and the environment that I grew up in. And, and I'm all about the festive music, especially in like the Hispanic culture, you know, and different types of hip hop music in the early nineties, all of that. But I had never heard something that made my body have a reaction and I will never forget. And, and the minute that I started to research you and what you did and I, you know, watched your TEDx talk and I was like, oh, this makes so much sense to me. Um, and I've read different books, you know, to do uh, that spoke about different sounds and how it affects us. But I remember being there and I remember looking through, you know, the, the shelves and I was looking for a book in particular, but I remember I stopped like in my tracks because I, I didn't know where the sound was coming from. And it was just something really just soothing, you know, and I was just like, oh, what is that? I didn't know what it was. You know, I didn't know what kind of sounds they were, like what it was creating. It was creating this sense of, of calm. And it was just like classical music, you know, later, years later, I would hear that sound again inside of Borders books or something. And it always had to do with books or reading. So that was that was the correlation I made. And then when I discovered I could actually buy classical albums and soothing music, then I, I started to get more into it. So I'd be I'd so curious that. to know what that piece was. Do you know? <gasps> I don't. You know, I don't. I, I think that um, it, it definitely was cello related because when I listen to any type of classical music that has the cello in it, it creates that familiarity. So, and I don't know for sure, but I feel like that's the only thing that I found a couple of pieces by Adam Hurst. He's a, a cello, a cellist in um, Portland, Oregon that, and for the people listening, especially if you're a student of mine and you've ever gone to a class of mine, you've heard his music because I play it during, uh, you know, the cool down or in the beginning during a warm up. But I would say that that's the most akin. So I'm happy to send it to you so you can tell me maybe you can find the inspiration for it or where it comes from. You can say, oh, this is actually from this. I'd love to hear it because the, the cello kind of is deeply haunting, but in a really beautiful, rich way. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's heavy. 
Yeah. <gasps> That's so interesting. I didn't even think about that. It is. And, you know, it, it's fascinating how, you know, this memory that you have, mm -hmm. this, this association of that first experience and that kind of place association and space with, with books mm -hmm. and what that brings up. And I'm sitting here in your room looking at the books on the shelf and oh, you should see thinking shelf about, right, that, <laughs> that's part of you and part of who you are. And, you know, music is so uniquely human. You know, it, it, and I, and I say that saying it does touch plants, it does touch animals, but music is something that is within us. We create with our own voice, right? Within the rhythm of our own lives. And we're really wired for sound. Mm. So if we look at prenatal development, that the earliest senses to develop are movement, Okay, in our vestibular system, which is part of the inner ear and the brain, and sound and hearing. They're very closely linked. So movement and sound integrate in our life from the very, very beginning. Mm. So that's why you know, I think dance and song have such an important place in culture and in mm. ritual and connection between humans because that, that movement and that sound and that music together is something that unites us and connects us all so and it touches us on such a deep level going back to your experience of that one piece of music in that moment you still remember it in vivid detail today which kind of tells us about the importance of the stuff right yeah yeah it does and it's it's not something that i've thought about and i'm 36 like i've not thought about that it it's one of those uh, kind of mundane thoughts that just come in that you just ha have an association to it, but you don't really analyze it too much until I started to look into everything that you, you teach and everything that you've studied like that. That makes so much sense, you know, and it's, it's just fascinating. I'm, I'm always so fascinated to, to see how science is discovering all of these new, um, ways that we can understand ourselves on a deep level. Oh, and it's fascinating, right? Because these brains that we have are trying to deconstruct themselves and have understanding. Yeah. Right. If you just stop and think about that for a moment. That is crazy. <laughs> right? It's yeah. the brain trying to understand itself. Yeah. And it's just so profound. Yes. Right? So what what's the meaning what's the what's the greater yeah. purpose well in saying that in to me i always bring it back to the yoga to the yogic philosophy because part of why we practice yoga or meditation or any type of esoteric practice is to get to this place where the soul wants to know itself right it wants to recognize it wants it to recognize itself it wants to realize itself and so it's the same it's the same thing we're trying to uh, deconstruct something to understand it and i just i think it's 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 kind of a little bit of a mind you know what because <laughs> you're just like trying to be like how do i how do i do that well and is it soul first <gasps> 
Well, that's, that's the interesting part. Is it soul first or is it the mind? Well, we utilize the mind as a vehicle, right? That's the vehicle to get to that in like in transcendental meditation it's we we have to transcend the mind right that's part of that practice is to be able to get into that state of transcendence to transcend the 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 mind the ego mind right that which is the the part of you that thinks that this is me that this um, and i'm pointing out my body you know that this is who i am i am this thing but but you are something else. Like if you really pointed to yourself with your index finger and you said, okay, point to you, point to yourself. Do pe where do people point? Do they point to their knee or to their shoulder or to their mind? Most people point to the center of their body, which is their heart, right? So why didn't we point to the mind? If the mind is the one that's intuiting or thinking and analyzing where we are in time and space, then why don't we do that? You know, I think that there's just so many things we don't understand. And obviously you've done a lot of work around that, right? Well, it, it's funny because as you, right, go kind of to the chest and you're actually in a way pointing to the vagal nerve, right? So you've got this 10th cranial nerve that is connecting the brain to all of our major organs except for the spleen. And it's, that is the communication highway between our feeling brain, right? So mm -hmm. you have the gut brain, mm -hmm. which has over 100 million neurons lining it, that it's its own separate thinking thing within the gut that first informs what we think. We feel, then we think. And if we responded more to what we felt and what we thought, I think we'd be in a much better place. Such a quotable moment, Alex. That's so great. You're so right. So what got you started into this embark on this epic journey on wanting to discover how sound relates to our humanistic being? Uh, the Cliff Notes version is um, third generation in a family in the brain field. So my grandfather was a rehabilitation doctor that pioneered uh, brain injury treatment programs for children and for adults. And uh, his brother was in the field and his kids, my dad and my aunt and my great uncle's kids, and we all grew up with it. Third generation, we're raising fourth generation now. So we've always been in the field of human development with a belief and an understanding. Each of us have unlimited potential. And where we're at today is not a reflection of what we're capable of. It's a reflection of the opportunities that have been afforded to us and our ability to um, take those opportunities mm -hmm. and go to the next stage mm -hmm. in our life. So we've you know, always looked at a continuum of, say, neurorehabilitation to neurowellness to neuroperformance. How can we help people get far along on that performance path so that they can have their best life. So growing up within that, um, different tools for re rehabilitation were used, you know, for injured brains and mm -hmm. to help individuals that were well and functioning well to accelerate to gifted potential. Mm -hmm. And music was always a big part of that. And I grew up 
loving music and you know i was programmed with bach and simon and garfunkel when i was a kid <laughs> in the early 70s <laughs> and, and like um, the best combinations right that's amazing <laughs> so good and I remember you pointed to my socks, right? So I have yeah. these socks that say have a good vibe. On them. <laughs> and that goes back to first moving to California in the late 70s with my mom. So we had moved out here and I had these visions of the Beach Boys and, and surfing. And I started to kind of plagiarize Beach Boy songs and make them my own. Oh. Right. I'd rewrite the lyrics and like try to do this songwriting as a third grader. Oh my God. <laughs> so, Loved, but I, I couldn't play music. I couldn't write music. I couldn't read music, but I always loved music. And music was um, an escape and a place of kind of discovery and, and great joy. Yeah. And being a Southern California kid later, um, I kind of grew up in the punk music scene and, you know, just loved the kind of the energy yeah and the scene what that was yeah. all about you know which seems very contrary to the classical music and right. world music that right, we right. create but everything has its roots and all music is good yeah and all music oh, serves its purpose for each of us in its own way in a particular moment so i don't think we should ever judge like musical style or genre because if you're feeling something and it's working for you it's right right so um, I formally got involved in researching therapeutic music with uh, clients, with patients of my father's and grandfather's and um, began creating um, home programs, right? Using therapeutic music for individuals who had special needs but also adults that had stress issues and were trying to optimize their performance and just experimenting with different techniques and technologies. And in the um, late 90s, started a company called Advanced Brain Technologies to actually create, arrange, produce original therapeutic music protocols that people wouldn't use just randomly and for entertainment, but really with the intentionality to shift their brain and to shift their life. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's what I've been doing for many, many years now. Wow. I yeah. love that you, I mean, I love all of that because I'm just fascinated. I really like what you said about how all music is good because I have, I feel that there's so, everybody has an opinion and I think it, it's not that there's music that, that isn't good. It's just, maybe music that you don't have a feeling towards that you don't connect to. So, I mean, right now, like who, I don't know why I'm like, I want to ask you who your, what your favorite music is right now. Like, what are you listening to right now? Top five songs. <laughs> the artist that I'm going to spend tomorrow morning with, because I'm fully immersed in her music since I discovered her, Beatty Wolf, who's here in L.A., and she is this amazing, I can't even describe her. She's a singer songwriter, but she's an innovator and a pioneer in music. Like I can't even explain. So um, when I discover a new artist, especially somebody that I'm getting to know, I do a deep dive 
right? Mm. So I bought all of her albums. They're constantly playing. Mandy's constantly listening to them. Our youngest son, Brendan's constantly listening. So I'm very much in a deep beady wolf dive right now. That's really cool. So that's what's on. That's what's on. You know, what's interesting is I'm I'm curious as to what your expertise opinion is on this. Um, I was always, you know, I went through different phases where I listened to a lot of hip hop and then I got really into rock and roll music and then I got really into um, like slower, more melodic, uh, like acid rock, I guess one would call it. And then I got really into like the sitar Indian music, you know what I mean? So I've gone through so many different phases and I noticed that they're, depending on my mood, just as one would assume, I have to listen to certain types of music for what I'm doing. But what I find really fascinating is that if I do something that's really intense, like if I'm done with a training or something that's really brain heavy, my desire is always to listen to something more intense, which I'm curious as to what that is. And I say intense, it's like I'll like blast tool in my earphones. Like, <laughs> like I'll, listen, I'll listen. He's he's giving me the approval right now, just so you guys know. Alex is like, he approves. But that's like my one of my favorite bands, right? Hello. <laughs> Maynard. Right. So yeah, so I I'm like, analyze me. Tell me why. <laughs> well we I think we tend to go deeper into our stuff. Right. Mm. So why do we like to listen to sad music when we're feeling sad and down? You go deeper into that place. Yeah. Right. You go deeper into the feeling and, and the emotion and you kind of work through whatever it is that you need to do. And it's something called the ISO principle. And you're choosing music that's meeting yourself where you're at. Mm. And you may transition from that, but you just intuitively no, you need to be in that space right now. And you don't want to go to something like totally opposite that's a mismatch from where you are, right? So if you're really up and you go to something that's like really down, you're not going to have a connection to that. And it's going to be a difficult transition. Oh. So I think we really intuitively go to that space that we're at in that moment. <clears throat> and... I relate to Tool, but I can listen to Tool for any occasion. Yeah, I can too. But to me, that's like my go-to. You know, it's my it's it's also something really soothing um, to uh, to just go into, and I really go into. I mean, because to me, it also takes me back to being like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year old when those albums first started coming out, and just waiting. You know, at uh, the good guys. Do you remember the good guys? I do remember the good guys. <laughs> I'm dating myself. And Tool has another album coming out. Finally. Stop. Yes. <gasps> All right. It's real. We should uh, We should go see them. We should go see them. Yes. They're on okay. tour right now. I know they are, but they don't come here. They're like I know. on they, the East they Coast. They even come to Salt Lake City. They do? Yeah, but you have to see them with Perfect Circle, with Pussifer, whatever. Yeah, you know, iteration. place, yeah. iteration of Maynard. All right. Experience that. So we, di we digress. But, totally. We'll right. digress. We're this totally fan clubbing here. <laughs> no, this is great. I'd love to ask you too about what you said um, about 
the matching the emotion. So I would think that if somebody is in a sad or not great place, if you were to play something happy, that that would that would do the opposite. It doesn't. Well, it can't, right? So one way to kind of one way to think about this is we have um, two planes in our emotion, in our energy. So we have our arousal levels or our energy, right? Mm -hmm. Are we high arousal or are we a low arousal? And in our mood, are we in a happy place where we're feeling pleasant or a sad place where we're unpleasant? And we look at the relationship between arousal, high or low, and pleasant to unpleasant. We kind of place our feelings, right? Mm. I feel this. Mm -hmm. And in that feeling, I'm going to be somewhere on this quadrant, right? Yeah. Of high positivity, right? High energy positivity, high energy negativity. Like I'm anxious, I'm really, really joyful, oh, right? Mm -hmm. I'm calm, I'm depressed. And that's our present state. And if we match that state and then gradually shift it to where we want to go, that's what tends to work. So it's about meeting me where I am and then shifting myself to where I need mm, to be. Yeah. But not, you know, meeting someone from way far away. Right. Because yeah. then it's it just creates conflict. Yeah. It, it is it is too jarring and yeah. it's unsettling. You're gonna disconnect from it. Right. It's just cultivating more of that chaos yeah. or that unsettled state. Yeah. That's so interesting. So coming, being a third generation brain person, brainiac, brain guru, I'm just going to call you the brain guru from now on. What has been, I mean, you, you grew up in this your whole entire life, like understanding the brain. What has been, what has been the most important lesson that your grandfather taught you? Wow. That's a good question. <clears throat> you know, granddad saw the good in everybody. You know, you have to picture my grandfather. He always wore a bow tie. I love and him. He'd take me to Dairy Queen and, you know, we'd go have ice creams. And he'd always say, Grandson, you're not going to finish that. Let me just help you. <laughs> He wouldn't let me have the last bite. I don't know what lesson was there, but <laughs> he was so dedicated to helping people get well. And dedicated, what he taught me was work ethic. So he was chief of rehabilitation at two hospitals. He was medical director at the institute he co-founded with my great uncle. He was founding medical director of United Cerebral Palsy Agency, where he was. He had another clinic with a neurosurgeon he was partners with. This is all at the same time. And he would come home at the end of the day, eat a quick dinner, go downstairs to his private home office to do pro bono work for friends and family that couldn't afford medical services. So what he taught me was to give, 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 and do whatever you can to help. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. What about the biggest lesson you learned from your father? He has continued that 
and by continuing that, he was actually just in L.A. seeing kids. So my father, who turns 72 next month, travels almost like you all over the world helping kids, you know, helping adults get to their best selves. So um, this isn't like work. Mm. It's not a career. It, this is just life. It, yeah. It, it's what we do. Mm. So, you know, what I've learned from dad is to really not accept the limiting beliefs that people have about who an individual can be. Wow. Because we don't know what anyone can be. Wow. Right? That is huge. That's a big lesson. Thanks, dad. Yeah. That's yeah. that's huge. I feel like there's so much of that. And I, I always have so much respect for people like you or like your lineage, your the legacy that your grandfather has created to develop something that allows us to connect more because that's ultimately what we all want. We all want to connect more. We all want to know know each other. We all want to seek that validation within ourselves and with each other. And I, I think there's something so beautiful about exploring the, you know, uncharted territory of the brain, you know, something like, like the brain or the mind and how it works and how we can utilize it to create the life that we want or to understand how we limit ourselves from creating that. And so now you, you also do motivational speaking. You're able to connect with people with the work that you're doing um, obviously you're carrying on the legacy of your family by doing the good work yourself. I know you're not talking about yourself right now like that, but you are. And I think that what you said about how we sometimes don't see our own potential. I'm curious as, you know, from what you know, being in this, in this world, your entire life, are those things that are environmental or are they actually part of the brain, you know, that create those limitations? I think you know why I'm asking this. <clears throat> That's a really deep question, right? Because <clears throat> our environment is creating more and more adverse conditions for our brain health, this world that we're living in mm -hmm. today. So it's harder than ever. Wow in one regard to get to the place that we want to go. Yet as we flip that, we have more knowledge and understanding and desire to get to a good place than we ever have. And I think it's matching like the need. So environment is a lot, but if we look at kind of the, the potential, right? So is it nature versus nurture? Right. Right. <clears throat> so what is this potential? of this brain that we have and we really don't know. And by really don't know, I mean, our family has worked with children that have had half their brain removed because of a seizure disorder in order to stop severe grand mal seizures that are slowly killing that child mm -hmm. as an example. And the old logic about what the brain could do based on brain specificity theory was if you remove that, the child won't be able to walk, they won't be able to speak, they're going to lose certain functions. And the brain with its beautiful plasticity, 
that gorgeous ability for it to change itself in response to its environment, it finds a way. And it goes back and it restores that function that was lost through that removal of half a brain. And children that weren't going to walk or talk or running and speaking. That's the potential. So we can have a very damaged brain that has potential to recover. And then I think about what a waste we often make of our healthy brains. And what can we do with them? When you've seen the most damaged individuals go so far, we're often just wasting so much potential that we have within us because I don't think we recognize the capacity for growth. Mm, yeah. Having this knowledge and seeing the disappointment of people allowing that to happen, what are the what are some of the top ways that people let their brain health go to waste? <sighs> I don't want to say waste. It sounds so well, like, morbid. Well, it, it is, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So the brain atrophies. The brain needs exercise. It needs to be fed. So what are, what are the good things for the brain? Exercise is essential. Sleep is mandatory. S learning stress resilience techniques to manage our stress consuming food not garbage right mm -hmm. so um, less packaged food more whole food mm -hmm. seven to eight hours of sleep a night using techniques like yoga and meditation to manage our stress resilience mm -hmm. um, getting sufficient exercise in our day um, taking down time not allowing ourselves to go to burnout um, keeping our phones, our screens away. I mean, our constant distraction that we have in our lives yeah. now with our mobile technology and our social media feeds yeah. and, and all that, which, you know, we, we all utilize as mm -hmm. part of the work that we do because it's a means of communicating and connecting to others. But when it becomes a means of distraction and entertainment, uh, it can become very de debilitating yeah. for us. Yeah, I want to ask you about that because it's definitely a huge distraction. You know, it's, it's sad for me to, I'll, I'll, if I'm going to run an errand, I, I usually will leave my phone. You know, I don't take it. I, I usually, um, I'll go out, I'll do my errand or, you know, like Tori and I were just in Hawaii. We'd go out to dinner, we'd go have breakfast, breakfast with friends and it would just, it would stay and I'd leave it in the hotel. Like I don't need it. You know, I'm just, I want to be present, especially our last day. I was like, I don't want my phone. I don't, you know, I just want to be able to enjoy this moment. Um, and it's sad to me now, the more and more I go out and I see people, you know, in line, you know, on, on their phones because they don't want to be bored. It's like every single second is being filled with something, some consumable something. Back in the day, um, when I would come down before I lived in, in Hollywood, before I moved out to Hollywood and I was, I was still a teenager, I'd take the bus down to sunset and, you know, hang out with my friends and we would, you know, walk down the sunset strip and we'd, we'd walk all the way down to, uh, the griddle, which is like a famous breakfast place. Back in the day, we'd go wait in line and you would just meet all kinds yeah. of fun people 
because every if if for those of you who have ever been to the griddle, this it's a wait. Like you go there for breakfast, there's no reservations, you go and you wait in line. And we would meet so many people and you'd make friends and you'd meet people from all over the world. And back then I hadn't traveled, I hadn't left LA, so it was fun for me to hear people with different accents, you know. I'm like, where is this place? Where are they from? And you would just meet people. The other day I was driving down, um, I was I was going to the gym and I drove by and I stopped right there and I'm just like looking. Every single person was on their phone. Everybody. And it was just quiet. You could just hear it. it was just quiet. And it felt so strange because I went right back to that memory of these people could be standing next to each other, making a new connection, making a new friend, even making a new contact. Let's be honest, you're in LA. Like you're not utilizing the fact that you're standing next to somebody that could potentially be somebody that could hand them your screenplay right Right. and it's you know one of those things that I feel like we're losing because we're just not we're so distracted all the time so I I love that you're saying that because I'm I'm curious as to what you think the remedy to that is stop (laughs) it's an addiction right so you know we're we're going for the likes we're going for that constant feedback and it's feeding this dopamine reward network in the brain. The same thing that cocaine, that sugar, sugar, um, pornography, mm. whatever your drug of choice happens to be, it's feeding that same reward mechanism. But you can get high on exercise. You can get high on music. You can get high on feeling good and doing positive things. So I think if you could can begin to shift <clears throat> that drug of choice and to do something positive for your system so that that reward is benefiting you rather than deteriorating you. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to do. But you have to like take the actions like you are and consciously decide mm-hmm. to stop. I noticed that we both intentionally had our iPhones turned upside down with the screens down while we're here. <laughs> And away from us. Yeah. So that that distraction isn't there. But, you know, so often people want to even check in the moment of a conversation Mm -hmm. to see what's going on. And we're lacking presence. Mm. And I think there's serious harm there. Right. Because we're not being present for ourselves. We're not being present for our children, for our partners, for our coworkers. Mm -hmm. And this constant distraction is causing miscommunication. Mm. It's having an impact on relationships. Yes. And I think a lot of what we're seeing going on in our world today, you know, could be improved just by some simple presence and active listening. Yeah. Oh, preach. And eye contact. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. People, how often do people get to do this? How often do people actually get to go? That That's why I love doing live events because it's my opportunity. If I do a retreat or a workshop or a training, I get to go see people, look people in the eye, see their reactions, you know, touch the human being as opposed to liking something, a click, you know, it, it is different. It creates a different sense of connection. And I feel that that's part of our innate mechanism to cultivate that fulfillment within ourselves. Just 
it's something that we need. And I feel like a lot of people don't even realize that that's what's missing in their life. If you think about it, I was talking to one of my students while we were in uh, Scotland. And, uh, you know, part of what was creating this level of disconnection for her and even a deep level of sadness is that she wakes up, she goes to her work, she's surrounded by four, a cubicle, doesn't have any communication with the outside world, works like a 12-hour shift, comes home to her partner, does the same thing five days a week, and there's no, there's no time for even making friends or having plans. It's like this is her life. And of course, that's going to create a level of uh, discord and a level of disconnection and a level of sadness and just a, a sense of not mattering in the world because you're just so disconnected. Not that any of that is true, but we're just, we're, we've created this society where this is part of the norm, you know, and we, people have to do what they need to do to survive. You know, it's not like you can be like, oh, just quit your job and find something more social. You know, that's not an option for some people, you know, unless they, they make a mindful, conscious decision to, to do that. But I feel like there's, there has to be a way for us to break that cycle, to be able to connect more on a human level and not distract ourselves with technology or things that aren't really going to serve our highest good. Although that I am a fan of technology because you can't connect with a lot of people and there are really helpful things out there, but I feel like it's just with everything, you know, too much of, too much of something is never, is never good. So I've got a question for you. Oh, <clears throat> oh. how important is it for us to connect with ourselves in order to be able to connect with others? Oh, it's probably the most important thing that we're here to do, I think. That's a big statement. Yeah, uh, but I really believe that because if you don't have a sense of who you are, if you don't have a sense of, of yourself, and I'm saying who you are not as your individual self, not oh, I'm this person, I have brown hair, brown eyes, and this is my ethnicity, whatever. I'm saying who you are at your soul level. You know, if you if you don't know who that essence, that highest self is, how can you see the highest in somebody else? How can you connect to, to that highest with somebody else? It's almost that like that that saying that how could you be in love with somebody else if you can't love yourself? How do you express that? And I feel that that is, that is our biggest quest here on earth is to connect to our highest self, to be able to connect to that essence of who we are so that we can create good work here on this planet and, and to leave this planet a better, a better place than what, what we came into. Right? Does that answer that? Yeah. Hopefully we leave things better than we found them, hopefully right? i mean that's always the intention you know and i, feel I don't like... know i don't know if it is i think for, for you and i it is i don't know if that's true for everybody yeah you know you have been teaching meditation yoga for many many years and uh i know you had a difficult childhood mm -hmm. difficult teen years and I would be so bold to say that maybe 
you didn't have a good relationship with yourself. And did you find that through meditation and yoga? Yeah, I think that it definitely helped. It helped me connect to uh, something that I felt was missing. Uh, Because it definitely, I was, I was, the, the first quarter of my life was spent in survival mode. Like, literally, like, visceral survival mode like i just needed to not die right i mean it's i mean it's life in a war zone yeah and so there was no real sense of connecting to anything it's like what we say you know in order to be able to have a spiritual journey you have to be able to be in a secure space if you're worried about where your next meal is going to come from or if you're worried about getting shot or dying how are you going to be like, oh, I'm going to go work on myself or I'm going to go like this. I'm going to go on my own. Like <laughs> I'm going to go on a retreat and like get to know who I really am in my core. It doesn't work like that. You yeah. know, if there's, I, I need food, right? We have a hierarchy. Of exactly. Needs. And so when you're able to appease that hierarchy, when you're able to, um, you know, facilitate those things then you can connect to okay now now who am i <laughs> what, what am i doing here and i would say that yoga and meditation for me came in during that time of questioning who and what i was and presented an answer almost immediately to me and and it felt so familiar and it felt uh without doubt and that to me that feeling has never been able to be replicated in any other system Mm -hmm. other than my meditation practice or when i'm able to close my eyes and really connect to oh oh yes here i am here i am right there or there she is you know and in in a time in my life where there was so much chaos and so much uncertainty i didn't need it in that moment in that moment i felt safe completely safe completely secure completely grounded and not only all of those things but also so full of hope and open to dreaming and felt the potential and actually felt like oh there is a future i have a future Like there is something else. There isn't just this life. There is something bigger than me. There's something that I might not even see, but I'm really excited about. And I don't even know what it is, you know? And I feel like, you know, for for other people, for some people, it's maybe a connection to their, their religion or their spiritual practice or music or, you know, just being out in nature. But for me, what was able to do that was uh, just being able to sit in silence and and observing that essence or thing that was watching my mind think. Yeah, that's my answer. I'm sticking to it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good answer. So in this, you know, frenetic world, that we're living in, you know, we touched on this earlier a little bit, 
how interesting is it that yoga and meditation have so become part of popular culture? Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? What's happened? Oh, well, I think people are, people are unhappy. I think people are unhappy and I think that they are in the search for fulfillment. I think there's a lot of people out there who know that there is something innately amiss and they are looking for how to restore themselves back to health. I think that that's, that's why, and I, I love it. I think I do have, you know, some of my fellow comrades or, you know, co-teachers out there who feel a level of disdain with all of the different types of iterations of yoga and meditation and all these different things. And, and I can see that, you know, as somebody who comes from a lineage, I, I study with the teacher, all that good stuff. But I, I see the bigger picture and I feel like it doesn't, it doesn't matter how it comes. People are looking for it. Let, let them enter the, the gate how they may. It's like you said about how all music is good music, right? And I agree. It's like with all yoga, all meditation is good meditation. All yoga is good yoga. However it comes, however it shows up for you, it's there for a reason. So invite it in. Let it in. Just be open. You know, so I, I think I think it's great. I it's funny, I just actually had a a call with one of my students. We were laughing because he was saying, and I hope you're listening to this. You know who I'm talking about. He always listens to the podcast. I, I hope that you send me a text message after you hear me call you out. He's always saying how he's like, you're always saying everything's great. You know, you always say everything's great. You know, something bad happens. I'm like, that's great. Something good happens. That's great. I'm like, because everything is great. Every, everything we do is great. Everything, everything that comes into our life is our teacher. Everything, the good and the bad. So how do we, how do we become open to that and let them, let those lessons in? So we have to learn from it. And I, I want to tie this back to what you were saying about if we don't use it, we're going to lose it. And I feel like that's our spiritual path as well. You know, we have to be able to use everything as our journey to get to know ourselves more, to understand ourselves more, to understand what our highest purpose is, what our value is, what, what our uh, soul essence is here to do, Right. Obviously, we can talk about this forever. Don't get me started. Well, it's good to get you started. Good things come. <laughs> so, um, and, and I hope this isn't unfair, but you're public about this. You mm. had depression and anxiety oh, yeah. when you were younger. And all things are good. You not only have a practice of yoga and meditation, you teach the teachers. Mm-hmm. There are times for you that those symptoms and things come back and confront you? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. Even now. Yeah. I think it's it's one of those things that you you make friends with and you adapt and you find the remedies to to them at whatever point you are in in that moment. For me, the remedies have changed over the years. 
back when I was a teenager, it was medication and it was uh, self-medicating and it was like prescribed medication, you know, and I was able to uh, utilize different types of modalities and, and get off of all of that and use all of the, the list that you had, that you, 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 you gave about eating whole foods and sleeping and meditating. I was able to do that prescription that really worked for me. But I think that now when it comes up, it's more coming from a place of, uh, imbalance. Maybe I'm not getting too much sleep. Maybe I'm overextending myself. I'm a yes person in case you haven't figured that out. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, you got that you, a little bit. Um, I'm a yes person and I want to say yes to everything. And, and I love, I love doing what I do. It makes me happy. I'm not the kind of person that's like, oh, I have to go work or I have to go do this. I get to do this and I love it. And it makes me so happy. My body starts to not be as happy as my mind is sometimes. <laughs> so my body starts to be like, hey, girl. <laughs> maybe let's let's take a beat like let's take a day where you're just lounging about and reading a book or just not on an electronic device or on your laptop and because I feel like whenever I exert so much I give a lot uh I there's always a come down from that there's always a right I mean and you can speak more to that the the biological response that happens after you know doing a lot of exerting after that I just I feel like fried like I'm just fried and then I do go through this depressive phase which is very strange like the reason why I said you make friends with it is because when I go into that state I don't beat myself up over it I don't start to question my existence of what Sometimes I do. I shouldn't say that. I'm like, yeah, there are some times where <laughs> yeah, I'm like, moments. why am I doing this? What am I doing? Why am I here? But they're very fleeting and they don't feel substantial enough. They just feel like, oh, they're just, I observe them and I'm like, oh, that's just my mind doing what it wants because it's tired. It's like a, like a, <laughs> it's like a, a whiny child that needs a nap. You know, I have, <laughs> I have two, two, two year old a niece and a nephew. And when it's time for their nap, they really make it known. And that's what I, I akin that to my mind when it goes into that state, it just needs, it needs a nap. It's nap time. Well, it's interesting because what you're you know, sharing, at least for your experience is <clears throat> those are moments where if you listen to your body, your body's saying, stop, mm. right? Slow mm. down. And you pay attention, you listen, and you feed it what it needs. I think so many are don't have the tools. Yeah. And, you know, we're using music as a tool. And you're teaching techniques of what I'll call self-regulation. Mm -hmm. And it's all about self-regulation, right? How do we find that balance, that peace, that sense of homeostasis within ourselves. So we're ready to respond to our world in a healthy way. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know I've tried to meditate and I've shared with you, I struggle yeah. with that. So for those of us that say, Hey, I want to try to meditate. I think that's a good thing. It would be good for me. And they struggle with it. What do you, what do you say to those of us? I think that, Thank you for bringing that up. And I think it's something really important to 
talk about and to discuss because I feel like meditation can be really confronting to some people and it can be very challenging. And I think that the view people have of meditation, of what it looks like, and I'm doing air quotes, right? Of what they think it should be. I should be sitting in a cross leg position with my spine tall, my eyes closed, with my hands in this mudra, and my eyes need to be closed, and this is what it needs to look like. I think that's that's a big ask for anyone. <laughs> for anyone that's... Uh, when I first sat in that position, I was in so much pain. There was nothing relaxing about it. It hurt my entire, it hurt my low back. I had like a little pinch in my uh, right uh, shoulder blade. I got a neck spasm. It was just not, not a peaceful experience. So I think that now the way that we're more open to different types of modalities, different types of yoga practices... I think just meeting ourselves where we are and with what works, knowing that there is a progression that happens. I think to acknowledge the fact that it is going to be difficult for some people, it's not going to be difficult for all people, but for some it's going to be really challenging. One of the, the biggest misconceptions that people believe about meditation is that they have to get their mind to stop, which obviously we know that that is not ever going to happen because the mind is a computer it's on 24 7 obviously our mind you know we, do, we don't want it to to stop we want to give it something to do we want to direct it in a way that is going to keep us in this moment in time and space we want to be able to focus on our breath we want to be able to just be in the now and then in the now, and then now, and then now, and then now, right? So it's just, it's a continuous stream of awareness. And I think that the belief that it's difficult is the first hurdle to overcome or to think that you can't do it because those are, those are beliefs. Those are statements that are very strong. They're commands that your brain is holding firm to. So if you even just begin to be open to, I guess I can meditate, or I guess it's not difficult for me. I guess I, guess I just need to do things differently. It opens a whole new way, a whole different pattern that you can then go into. So that's one of the biggest misconceptions. And the second is how you have to be. And people think, oh, I have to sit up tall. I have to do this. I have to do that. Not true. You can lay down. You can just be in a, com be in a comfortable couch and close your eyes. Let your body be in a position that feels good. Just focus on your breath. Yeah, of course, your breathing is going to be less reserved if you're sitting up tall or if you're laying down, all of those things. But just to start, just to get to the gate, to the beginning, just be comfortable, right? Comfort is the number one thing that you want to, to be, be comfortable. And then you can just begin to go into the rhythm of your breathing and just notice your breath and you can even direct your breath, inhaling slowly, exhaling smoothly, and doing it again, inhaling slowly and exhaling smoothly. 
you're not, there's no rush. There's no rush. That's the thing about the mind. The mind wants, the mind wants to be anywhere but here. The mind wants to be anywhere but in the present moment. And if you understand that, and if you make friends with that, you can take the pressure off yourself and say, okay, my mind is, my mind wants to, my mind's other date is way more interesting than, than the date, than the date the brain has. So you say that. So what does it then mean to be mindful? Well, see, this is like one of those things that it can be a little incendiary for my Buddhist counterparts out there because what we really want to do is be mindless, not mindful. We don't want to be full of mind. We want to be mindless. We want the mind to be less, right? Mm. But to be mindful, it means that I am just putting my mind into the fullness of this moment. That's what it is. So it's not, oh, I want to be full of mind. Why would we want to be more mind? So it's presence. It's presence. Want to be present. Yeah. It's about being an acute awareness to presence. That's what mindfulness is. And and so in Buddha in Buddhism, it's about it's about the emptiness, right? So here's the difference between so my study is and I've studied both, right? So um, mindfulness in in Buddhism is empty. So the Buddhists want everything. It's empty. There's nothing. It's just emptiness, empty space. It's just nothingness. It's like you want desire. You want desire to go away. You want uh, suffering to go. We only suffer because we have attachment. So we need to um, dissipate our attachment so we can find fulfillment. And then the mission of the Bodhisattva is that you then make it your life's purpose to uh, ease the suffering of the world because only if the world is happy, then you can be happy, right? And so that's the journey. In Tantra, it's it's all about the fullness. It's everything is full. Everything is everything is sri. Everything is resplendence. Everything the fullness of everything is great, right? It's just everything is full. Everything about the moment is the most. It's filled to the top. We want to be able to take it all in. And so that's, those are the, that's the difference, right? The yin and the yang, the yang and the yin. And, you know, that's for, for each, for each person, they might resonate with one more than the other, you know? So there's no right answer. No, it's just like all music. All music is good. Just got, looping it right back to you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you've studied deeply in both schools. Yeah. So, yeah, right, balancing, that. yeah. Well, and what's interesting is when I first started, so I first started studying Sri Vidya, I, I first started studying Tantra first, and then when I started to study more Buddhist uh, philosophy and uh, study with Buddhist teachers and learn more about Buddhism, in the beginning, it was really activating for me, I didn't like it at all because it was so opposite of what I'd learned. And I was just like, oh no, they're just like, why are they trying to like strip away everything I hold dear? <laughs> and it was really activating for me, right? But the more I got into it, 
it, it allowed a, a deeper understanding of what all these practices were. And then it was like, oh, okay, meditation doesn't need to look like this. And this is why it's important for it to not look like this and to be able to speak to that. And it just gave me a like a 360 degree view of all these different types of practices. And then I started study transcendental meditation. And then I started to study um, uh, Vedic meditation and all these different, these different facets of this practice. Because, you know, one, I, I, I'm a certified nutritionist, certified holistic health coach, all that. So I don't really practice it too much now. I mean, now I have the knowledge, but I used to be a coach back back in the day. That was kind of my my main uh, career path. And back then I used to say, one person's food is another person's poison, right? And so I feel like meditation is the same thing. Like one person's meditation might not be this other person's meditation uh, palette. You know, because you might try that meditation and be like, oh, I can't do that meditation. It's really hard for me. So I can't do meditation. Right. Instead of being like, oh, maybe yeah. there's a different type that works better for me. But I don't think people know that. Right. Because they have that experience and they have that, mm -hmm. that failure. So oh, yeah. Well, it's just like yoga. It. It's just like yoga. That they might go to a yoga class that maybe the instructor didn't know how to work with beginners or... Maybe it was a little too intense for them. They should have gone to maybe a beginner class or a hatha yoga class or, you know, and then they have this stigma now of like, oh, meditation is not for me. Or I'm sorry, yoga is not for me. First time I've only done one form of yoga as Bikram. And I remember going to class the first time yeah. because it's, I don't know, 100 and something degrees. And I love the heat, <laughs> which is like great. And it's 90 minutes. Yeah. And the instructor said, your only goal today stay in the room that's great that's awesome and that was an invitation to succeed yeah right wasn't a high bar <laughs> stay in the room yeah you know and do your best with the movements yeah. or sit them out and that kept me coming back yeah so i would invite you to do the same in your practice it's like you don't have to do anything no technique just sit there for 10 minutes i do that I just do it in a hot sauna. <laughs> ah, no, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just find quiet. <clears throat> I do affirmations oh, and yeah. I find a way just to be present and breathe. Yeah. And that's working. That's wonderful. And I don't quiet my mind entirely. What I find is, and, and this is, this is my barometer. If I'm going through a pattern of my affirmations, and I lose my place, I focus on my breathing. Mm -hmm. And then I structure a certain number of times through because I'm kind of a linear person. Yeah. And then when I've done that many repetitions, I feel like I've had a successful mm. session. That's been my, my process. Oh, I love that. That's great. I have uh, two questions for you. Yeah before we close, because obviously we can, we could sit here forever and have this conversation. Uh, and I feel like it's going to be first of many anyway. So, um, you're married. Your wife is absolutely stunning. Thank you for bringing her and introducing her to me. Um, Mandy, I hope you're listening to this. Hi. 
part of why I created this, the platform or why I wanted to create a podcast uh, was to create connection. And I feel like a lot of it is revolving around just building relationships and being in a relationship. Um, what is the biggest key that you have found to be the most helpful in your romantic relationship? For me, finding Mandy. Oh. Right? She's so great. <clears throat> and as beautiful as she is, externally, she's gorgeous internally. Mm. Just who she is. And I think she and I are so different, right? The yin and the yang. Very much so, like this type type A, go, go, go. And she's just this loving, caring, wonderful mother and, and person that everyone just falls in love with. And I think for us is that we have, you know, two decades together now and we work together, right? So this isn't just we're a couple at home. Right. Our offices are next door <laughs> to each other. I mean, there's there's not space away and we love nothing more than to be together and I haven't really thought about <clears throat> what necessarily makes that work except for that we each give each other permission to be our flawed selves and just to understand that and to be patient with it and um we don't strive for perfect. Mm -hmm. I love There's that. There's a space for that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. What is your biggest hope for your children? I really hope that they're on a planet that's um, safe. You know, I worry for our future. Mm. But in terms of the three boys, we have three. They're 23 and 19 and 9. Saying Ethan and Brendan, and they're, they're each brilliant, beautiful boys. And I hope they find their joy. I just really hope they each find what fulfills them, whatever that path may be. Because I think there's no greater success than if they can find their happiness. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you the final question. What do you radically love? I was going to ask you a radically loved. You can ask me. I radically love music. <gasps> That's okay. I radically love learning. Radically love food. <laughs> radically love my family. There's so much. Mm. There's so much. And as I turn that question to you. My question for you is why radical love? Radical. So the word, the root word radical is root. The Latin. Root. And I think that we have to be rooted in something in order for us to feel connected and find fulfillment and be and do who and what we are meant to do on this planet. And I feel like if we 
use that same fierceness that a blade of grass grows out of the ground with, with that tenacity and blind hope and dedication that we will achieve success. And success looks different for everyone. You know, success to one person can be buying that dream home and having, you know, their sports car, you know, whatever that might be. And for others, it's just finding fulfillment in every moment with everyone. And so I think that's why radical love. Yeah. I don't think I've ever answered that question before. It's a beautiful end note. <laughs> well, Alex, for the people that are listening on on my platform, uh, where can they go for more information and to connect with you? Yeah, um, AlexDoman.com. You can go to my website. Um, that's probably the best place to access, and I'm across all social platforms. So easy to find. And Rosie, for those that are listening to the Advanced Brain podcast, where do they explore all things mm -hmm. Rosie Acosta? They can go to, I'm on Instagram a lot. That's like my main, <laughs> that's my main, main focus. But if you go to uh, at Rosie, R-O-S-I-E, Acosta, A-C-O-S-T-A, you can uh, find me on Twitter and um, Facebook. We have a private Facebook group that we have for the people listening to the podcast. They're welcome to join that. And uh, radicallylove.com and rosiacosta.com all go to the same place. So feel okay. free to search me out on all the things. Well, thank you so much for saying yes. I know you just got back from a great vacation <sighs> and yesterday and you're just coming down off of that. So, uh, so good to see you. And I think it'll be, yeah, the second of uh, many, many more conversations yes, to come. Yes, I agree. Thank you so much as well for coming here straight from the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the perks of living close to an airport, guys, is uh, your friends kind of have to go by your house in order to go to wherever they're going. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Rosie. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.